raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Previously on The Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. I'm a little confused it, by yeah, the is, open. Is this because Halloween's over? Or is yeah. it because it's four degrees outside? No, it's uh, November 1st. You know what that means, boys. <laughs> you better put up the lights? Mariah's is that what it means? taking over. Oh, wow. I honestly thought that was being played because... I thought it was a mistake. Greg Doyle's <laughs> comment about Josh McDaniels comes to fruition in the wee hours of... You can, Halloween turning you can into spin November. It however you want. I feel like I feel like Greg Doyle woke up at 3 a.m. He got a he got an internal alarm. What? Josh McDaniels? That pissant has been fired. Yes. Outside yes. of the Anthony Richardson moments, <laughs> Josh McDaniels getting fired is that the best thing that's happened to Colts fans oh, it's, here in 2023? It's, it's absolutely fantastic. It really is. Uh, wake up call. He's Kevin Bowen. He survived last night in the cold. Mark Dighton producing today's effort. He did the same. Uh, I was in my warm house passing out candy handfuls to uh, 30 kids that came by. I'm Andy Sweeney. We got you for the next three hours. Stephen Holder going to join us. Alex Golden going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, fellas, good morning. We made it through. You made it through, KB? How you feeling? Yeah, good. Good. I, I mean, there were some moments last night. I'm like, okay, we're, here we are. We're, I mean, this is the Bowens. Let's build character. Come on now, Rosie build Max. Toughness. Uh, and then I'm like, uh, that's literally the most meathead comment you've ever made as a father. Uh, so yeah, Max in the wagon, dinosaur costume. Ah, uh, the wagon. Uh, I don't know, 12, 14 houses. I had him. I had hand warmers. I'm handing him. I'm like, you know, literally just grab these, buddy. They're, Sa- no. they're Sam Ellingers. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm like, don't put them in your mouth, but just, you know, use these for your fingers. Uh, Rosie, probably about 30 houses, but... Uh, good for her. I was somewhat disappointed, but understandable. I came home and literally the bucket full of candy that I have probably eaten half of it over the past month and was hoping the other half would be gone by last night. I swear no one took one piece of candy. That was the same for us. Came home, did some trick-or-treating, bowls full, Ugh. got home. I was like, all right, leave the door open, lights on. Not a soul. Yeah. Should like, we have moved Halloween to last Saturday or this Saturday, or is that too? Well, soft? now listen, I have I have known because that's a hot take. No, no, it's it's been done before in areas that I've lived where they're like Tuesday is going to be terrible, but Monday or Wednesday is going to be beautiful. Let's move it up a day. It's going to be twenty five degrees. But again, is that too not, soft? I, I I don't know. Well, I mean, then you need to take your kids out to fifty houses instead of instead of twelve to fifteen. Right. I, I don't know You're what right. to tell you. I just threw some bourbon and Irish cream in the coffee and I was like let's oh, go oh man that's oh, yeah. what we I'm talking spike about cider to say there the you, least there you that go. was very helpful and it does piss me off that the Midwest just has no no fall at all it's just summer into winter yeah well, yeah where's like the 58 degree sunny day or yeah. the 62 degree sunny day good Wednesday morning to you the start of November Mark Dykton with quite the intro there hopefully you all are still tuning in after hearing <laughs> although I do love Mariah Carey's voice that was a bit jarring to start this wake-up call here with KB and Andy, the Colts are back to work today. All of a sudden, like a Juju Brents injury watch at week 10 of the season or week 9 of the season is uh, paramount news. Uh, no trades for the Colts yesterday. We did see, I'd say, what, about a half dozen notable moves around the league. We'll touch on some of those uh, and give our thoughts on the Colts. And then tonight, Andy, with the Pacers and Celtics, I'm sitting there watching the Rick Carlisle press conference yesterday before they board a plane to Boston and you know just typical questions tossed Rick's way through the first handful of minutes and it's getting to what I would imagine is the end of the press conference and all of a sudden Tony East is like yeah how are you guys doing health-wise and next thing you know Rick's like yeah Tyrese and Benedict will be questionable at best I'm like dear lord I mean that's kind of a big deal when you're playing the Celtics on a Wednesday night Uh, elbow injury right elbow I don't know if any elbow is a good injury, let alone the right elbow for Benedict Matherin. And then Tyrese Halliburton, an ankle injury. And as we sit here 12 hours and change away from tip-off, in my opinion, this will be the biggest underdog the Pacers are 
all season long, 11 and a half points. All right, let me ask you this. Boston. If the Bally's app doesn't work tonight and those two don't play, do you guys care? Because I would have liked to see the Chicago game and maybe to hell with it, Bally's. Just go ahead and take this one off. I mean, if those two guys don't play. <laughs> By the way, I sound like I feel better, but I do sound like I smoked 33 cigarettes before I walked in the DriveHuber.com studios yeah. today. I'm like, did you have a yeah. black and mild or two as you were awaiting? I sound like Marge Shot. Last that's, what I, like that's what I sound like. Sweets guy. <laughs> oh, God. I haven't had one of those forever. I might throw up if I had one of those, honestly. Yeah, I I, I, I know it would not go well for, <laughs> for myself. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it is a huge bummer, uh, to say the least, whether you want to look at it from entertainment value or, again, um, I mean, obviously with Matherin, you hope it's nothing too, too serious with the right elbow injury. Jalen Smith is also questionable. So, you know, Andy, the Pacers had a great bill of health through the first three games of the season, uh, but it looks like tonight they potentially could be shorthanded in Boston. Yeah, so we get ready for that game. We'll keep uh, having fun with some Halloween stuff. I did last night because uh, I'm sick and twisted. Really had nothing to do. A couple different numbers as it pertains to Shane Steichen, his couple years in Philadelphia, what he's doing now, and it has to center around running the football, how many times Jalen Hurts threw the football, Gardner Minshew. I want to dive into that, and then, you know, I think we got to be honest with ourselves. Uh, it is, I don't know. I, I mean, the the game against New Orleans for the Colts felt like not an elimination game, but it did feel like a fork in the road. I, I don't think that was a hot take, and I think ultimately fans saw it that way. I think we saw it that way on the show here. Uh, but the you know the Carolina game, you know the Saints have a lot of talent. Carolina doesn't have a lot of talent. The Saints have a quarterback that, even though I don't care much for Carr, a lot of people say, hey, this is still a really good player in the NFL. They have Alvin Kamara. They have guys like that. Carolina doesn't. And then you throw in the Frank Reich stuff on top of it. And I'm not saying it's a big game. The 425 games, for the most part, I mean, you have Carolina and the Colts, and you have the Giants and the Raiders, okay? And I, what's the other one? There's another big uh, one. Eagles. Cowboys. The Eagles Cowboys, so obviously the entire country is going to be watching that. Um, but this Carolina game, you know, I said this yesterday, KB, when it comes to Carolina and New England, they aren't good teams. Like, they're not even like I teams. They're not even average teams. You can make the case with the Saints, with the Rams. Obviously, the Browns have spent a nice amount of the season at the playoffs were to end today. They would be in. I think that's the case even today. Like, there are units within those teams. There are players within those teams that you have a ton of respect for. That's not the case with Carolina and New England. And then you throw the Frank Reich stuff on top of it. Uh, if you know if the Colts were to go up there and lay an egg in Carolina, I think at three and six with a horrific loss against Carolina in four straight, I think we'd be dealing with a different animal than we're dealing today. And so Wednesday, it's a hump day. That means we turn the page to the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I think the other thing about where the Colts are at three and five three straight losses, is Andy, one week will not shift the thinking. One week will not, you know, if you would have beaten Jacksonville, all of a sudden it's like, man, with that win, you're right there in the AFC South picture. If you would have beaten Cleveland, all right, one win, you're right there in the wild card picture. Even last week of the Saints, if you would have gotten to four and four, I mean, hell, yesterday might have been different for the Colts in terms of how they handled the the trade deadline. At three and five, three straight losses, an NFC opponent, considering the schedule upcoming, you're going to need multiple wins sure. to change whatever storyline there is as the month of November uh, gets underway today. So um, I, I think that is something about this week and stringing into next week. And then obviously you have your bye after that. And also, to your point, yeah, Carolina got their first win last week. But there should be a big discrepancy between these two teams. And Vegas is telling us that. What's Vegas saying? Three-point favorite. Well, doesn't Carolina get three for playing at home? So, theoretically, on paper, the Colts are six points better than Carolina. Um, So, I I think all of those signs point to you should win this game. Obviously, you need to win this game. And we'll see how things play out. 4.05 coming up on Sunday. Again, for those that missed it late last night, it was very late. I mean, actually, technically earlier this morning. It was, what, 3 a.m.? 3 a.m. Eastern, yeah, right? 3 a.m. Yeah. Eastern, I think. I mean, this is the second day in a row we've had a middle-of-the-night big story. Two nights ago, James Harden, and then the Raiders last night. Josh McDaniels fired Dave Ziegler, the GM of the Raiders, fired. Of course, this comes, what, 
I guess probably 24 hours after they had landed from their Monday night football loss uh, to the Lions. They did not make a trade deadline move. Certainly, uh, there are plenty of questions about the Raiders franchise in the Josh McDaniels era. 9-16 and as a head coach. Uh, Jeff Saturday's lone win against <laughs> Josh McDaniels. Uh, Antonio Pierce will be the interim head coach for the rest of the year. For the second time in three years, the Colts will see the Raiders at the end of the year. It's the second to last game of the season with an interim head coach. It was Rich Bisaccia actually beating the Colts inside of, inside of Lucas Stadium. By the Stadium. way, did a good job last year. Got or, them in the playoffs He got them into ago. the postseason last year, which wasn't good enough, so he had to go get Josh McDaniels. Like, enough of him. Yeah, and you know what? I, I'm trying to, like, connect it here, and I've never been one that's labeled this but I know there are some people out there that do. Should Chris Ballard be viewed? Should should, should it be a con on the Chris Ballard resume <laughs> that he wanted to and I guess did hire Josh McDaniels for a brief period? It's a good question. Ultimately, it didn't happen. I guess I would say, Frank Reich, how much better did he do that you thought Josh McDaniels would do? If Frank Reich were here still and they were having success, then it would be different. But Frank Reich fizzled out here and got fired in the middle of the season too. Well, he wasn't which probably as big what would have happened. No, no, he was a respectable disaster. Josh McDaniels brings, I mean, to me, immediate losing. I, I don't know if Josh McDaniels can coach anywhere else but next to next to Daddy Belichick. Can he? Can he coach anywhere else? I mean, he has not had success anywhere. You think of when, I mean, like, we forget he was, like, the associate head coach with the Rams when they had Steve Spagnola back when they were still in St. Louis, and that was a disaster. Yeah. He was midseason, gone there. Obviously, his first stint was very young in Denver as a head coach, and he got fired, I think, very similar, kind of midway point of his second season there. Do you remember the best part of his Denver is it something Tebow related? <laughs> Didn't he? Remember he beat New England and he he went down the whole length of the field doing the fist pump like Tom Brady? <laughs> Actually, I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> and that's when they were good. Like They had a winning record. They ended up 8-8 eight and eight that season, 3-9. and nine. He was fired in 2010 in Denver, 6-11 and 11 his first year in Vegas, and then 3-5. and five. And, like, I don't know, for me... I think, you know what help gets a guy like that fired? Uh, yes, it's losing, but it's the other things. I mean, Devontae Adams probably is looking at this and saying, I am going to cause an absolute stink. You think Jonathan Taylor, what he pulled and his agent were bad? I'm a Hall of Fame player that's been playing for a decade in the NFL. And then on top of it, I know you're, you're probably going to laugh at this. Both of you will laugh at this, okay? But you know what epitomizes the arrogance of, of, of Josh McDaniel? Is it it's it's Hunter Renfro, right? Who's the Raiders slot receiver? That, that's his name, right? He, yeah, it's Clemson the same, guy. Yeah, yeah, the Clemson guy. He's a fi- he's a fine player. He's got ten catches this year. The only reason I bring that up is, I mean, this is a guy that has had 50, 60. He had one hundred and three catches back in two thousand twenty-one, uh, and for some reason, Josh McDaniels he gets Devontae Adams, and he has like a fine slot receiver in Hunter Renfro, and those guys are non-existent in that offense. So, I, I mean, now automatically this morning, listening to ESPN Radio on the way in, it was you got to call hard. Ball. You got to call Harbaugh, and maybe that's the next step. Maybe that's who can save him. It would be perfect that a dysfunctional Raiders program would be the one to save a dysfunctional Jim Harbaugh from a pretty dysfunctional situation there in you Michigan. You don't want to go Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams package deal? Uh, Doesn't that I, scream I, I, Raiders? I, I mean, come on. You don't like Lincoln Riley, do you? You're off the Lincoln Riley train, aren't you? And I guess I am too. But it's the Raiders. <laughs> Harbaugh was kind of a I'd rumor there a couple years I ago. I'd kind of rather like. be at USC. I don't know. Again, it is a banged-up Pacers Ooh. lineup going into tonight. That is something we will hit on. Alex Golden going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock. Stephen Holder, our weekly 8 o'clock appearance every Wednesday with him. How active, how trying were the Colts at the trade deadline? We'll get Stephen's thoughts on that coming up. Here as well on the brink of clinching a World Series. That would be the Texas Rangers. They get another one done last night away from home. It has been historic for the Rangers here this postseason. 
Uh, so we'll touch on that. Again, good Wednesday morning to you. I would try and follow suit. I, I you know, had Rosie when she went to bed. I'm like, you know what? The Reese's probably need to be in this pile, and we'll just put all the other candy in her pile there, and hopefully she won't remember that when she wakes up here on this Wednesday. Do, do you check for razor blades? Morning. Do they still do, do parents still do that? Because I'm a new parent, so I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh, that just means you're <laughs> taking the good candy. That's all that meant. I did not check for razor blades, and also I, I you know, I saw the tweets going around like watch out for drugs and candy i'm thinking since when do drug dealers want to waste drugs on yeah. little kids yeah that, that was that's always the, the thing the thing they're gonna give you drugs like for free i doubt I, it I, I was gonna say i don't <laughs> that's not how i think drug economics work yeah. not that i know a ton about it but i, I don't know maybe that's just me being I a naive parent. drug wars on my t99 back in high school but i don't remember ever giving them away for free that's not how that works yeah. i would like to i would like if that happened to someone i would like to hear from them like yeah someone dropped a joint into my kids into my kids baggy also you like, know it really? doesn't make sense okay. giving drugs to kids because kids have no money you got to give it to the parents not the kids yeah, it's uh, always a bit mystifying to me very similar <laughs> to the jonathan taylor usage from this past weekend i am kevin bowen he's andy sweeney mark dykton on the ones and twos thank you for tuning in happy november it is the wake up call with kb and andy on 93.5 raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to mcdonald's for mcnuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Hey, fam. I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in Hope today. 7-5. Yeah, yeah, 8 o'clock hour, hanging on the drive, Hubler.com studios. Reminder, tons going on tonight. 7 o'clock hour coverage, Pacers and Celtics right here on the fan. We played that Rick Carlisle sound earlier. It looks like uh, what Matherin and Halliburton are going to be very questionable going into uh, tonight's game. Jalen Brown may not play for Boston, so we'll see. It's kind of the walking wounded just game four uh, of the season. A lot of Colts conversation, trade deadline, what they did not do and what it means. We'll continue that conversation right now with Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. Stephen, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys this morning? Oh, we're doing fantastic. Uh, KB and Mark, they're all thawed out from uh, trick-or-treating last night in the snow and 25-degree <laughs> weather. How was the crowd for you, Stephen? Lighter? Uh, yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Um, and understandably, I'm just glad that I don't have to do it anymore because, you know, they, mine's old enough to do it on their own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I was thinking myself, here we are building toughness, and I'm like, Kevin, just shut up and get the kids yeah. inside. What are, you, what are you, a football? What are you, an, off, are you an offensive like, line coach I, I all thought, of a sudden? I thought I was Dan Campbell for a second there. Uh, Steven, right. how active, if any, do you think the Colts were either, you know, again, buy and sell is so black and white. There's a lot of gray area yeah. when it comes to trade deadline, but uh, what, what do you think the phone lines were like for the Colts yesterday? So, number one, I mean, you always take calls. You know, you never say no to taking a call because that's, that's like the bare minimum. It, it costs you nothing to talk. But that being said, uh, my understanding is there wasn't a lot of conversation, to be honest. And I, I, I guess a couple of things have to happen. If you're not actively going out there and either shopping or, or looking to acquire a, a player, um, then you're kind of in a, a sit back and, and wait mode and you see what comes to you. So I think that's where they were. And from what I understand, there, there really wasn't anything substantive that came 
their way. So I'm not surprised by that. I, I don't think the Colts are – they don't strike me as a team that's a buyer or a seller. You know, they're kind <laughs> of like, let's just see where we – let's just see where this goes and, and then we'll circle back next year. I mean, it kind of feels that way, honestly. Well, that's what we talked about last segment, and that's basically what I said. It's like, okay, they didn't want to yeah. move a guy who's kind of in their prime. Uh, they also didn't want to go get a guy like Montez Sweat, they, but they also didn't grow the war chest of picks either. I don't know. Is there criticism yeah. for Ballard? Is there is there criticism there that there weren't a lot of conversations when there's probably you know five or six guys pseudo in their prime that you know seven, you know probably half those guys not going to be back on the roster next season? Well, I, I think they're still evaluating who is and isn't going to be back is the problem. You know, I don't think it's that cut and dried yet. I mean, I, I don't disagree that not everyone will come back. That's true, most likely, because that's just, that's just how the business works. But, but who? You know, and, and what are the economics of which player and, and, and all of that? And I don't know if we know those answers yet. So it was kind of a delicate situation, I feel like, you know, and – and then, you know, the, the other thing is there has to be a market for those players, whoever they are. And the truth is we don't see that many deals at the deadline. Now, that it has picked up, I will say. Last year in particular, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. I, I saw them earlier. And there has been an uptick last year and this year. But, but generally, okay, just generally speaking, we haven't seen this much movement in – you know, in a typical year. So, you know, that's just the other thing. It was that there have to be motivated parties on both sides. And I don't think there was a ton of motivation on the cold side. And then, you know, it would appear there wasn't a lot of motivation on the other side, you know, for, for whoever they might have considered moving. Again, Stephen Holder's with us here, ESPN.com. Um, Stephen, shifting gears from the trade front. I went back and and watched that first quarter yesterday of Jonathan Taylor, and I I believe I added up the plays. uh, 11 yards per play when Taylor touched the ball, 4 yards per play when anyone else not named Taylor touched the ball. As we are 48, 72 hours away from it, uh, has anything made more sense to you on why they went away from either the run game and or Jonathan Taylor specifically? No. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I mean, look, I'm not I'm not going to like protest about it or anything. You know, I'm not going to, you know, hold up a, a picket sign in front of the facility about it, but I don't understand it. Uh, I, I don't get it. I, I think that it's not, you know, two things. Number one, they didn't run the ball generally after halftime. I think it was six carries total. Um, so that I have a, a beef with in itself. And then when you did run it, you ran it with Zach Moss. And look, this is not a slight to Zach Moss. The numbers are the numbers. Look, he has he has had a very productive season. But you know, the, for a coach who has told us repeatedly all about going with the hot hand, he didn't do that. Like that's just unequivocally true. He did not do that. You cannot say that that was the case. So. I just find it to be a little bit of a, a contradiction, and and forget about it being a contradiction. That's this is not about a gotcha. It is about trying to win. And look, the fact is, you talked about. I think you might have asked this question, or someone asked it uh, about the balance with Gardner Minshew. Is okay. He's been really aggressive the last few weeks, and then on Sunday he was much less aggressive. So he didn't have as many turnovers. But you know what else he didn't have? A lot of production. So my point to you is uh, you you kind of went to the past just as much and but got less out of it. So I don't know. I, I just I don't understand the rationale, and it's not what I would have done. Um, you know, it's not a fireable offense or anything, but I just I don't follow the logic. Yeah, I think I looked it up yesterday or uh, Sunday was the second best first quarter of Jonathan Taylor's career. And, and so, like, if you wow. want to play the hot hand, and that and, and to be <laughs> doesn't fair, get hotter than that. Shane said on Monday, you know, hot hand. What, what was a phrase that he, yeah. you know, ushered? I, I, again, I know it's Wednesday and it's time to move on. We have another chance to talk to you since Sunday, but you know, usually, or, or I, I shouldn't say usually, but sometimes you you get to Monday, you get to Tuesday, and you get out of kind of the raw emotion after a game, and you think to yourself, okay, yeah. that makes a little bit more sense. Oh, oh, I didn't see it from this point of view, and the further I get away from it. Honestly, it's even more mystifying to me, to be totally honest. Yeah, and, and look, I like Shane, okay? I do. 
I think that he Same. is the right guy. He's the right guy, and and he definitely uh, has a head on his shoulders. However, uh, his his answers are very unsatisfying sometimes, and I, he doesn't owe me an explanation for anything. It's you know technically, I I understand that he doesn't owe any of us an explanation. His job is to win. However, however, it, when you do that, you're going to be questioned. That's just how it is. If you don't give satisfying answers, you're going to you know, leave those questions open to interpretation. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what we get paid to do. It is what it is. Um, so, look, I mean, he can, he could kind of give a little more insight if he wanted to, uh, but he just chooses not to. I, I would say, look, I mean, I, I think we're all open-minded. Like you, you know, when, when you take, take a step back and you listen to all the arguments, we're very open-minded about it. I'm, I mean, I, I love learning more about why they did what they did. Look, go back to the, uh, the Jacksonville game, and you might recall in that game, it was a very uh, pass-heavy game, and they had, you know, Gardner Minshew had, had quite a few turnovers in that game. Now, there was a lot of conversation in the wake of that, and why didn't they run the ball more? Well, the truth is, when they did run it, they didn't get production, and you had, you had Jacksonville really stacking the, the, the front and not allowing them to run, so there were very practical reasons for why they did what they did in that game, you know? And so I, I can accept that all day long. Of course, I didn't get that explanation from, <laughs> from Shane. I got that from Ryan Kelly and from other players. <laughs> but nevertheless, I get it. This case, in this case, I don't think I have such an explanation, so I have less understanding of why they did what they did. Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com following the Colts. He's on the Payless Liquors hotline on the fan on this Wednesday. Uh, last one before we go forward. Any theory on what happened with Tony Brown not practicing on Friday, right. getting the start, uh, getting cooked, not being pulled, but also not being in a good position by the coaching staff, not getting help either. What do you think happened with all of that on Sunday? You know, I, I really think it was a situation where they had bad options and <laughs> they they tried to, to find the least disruptive option. And what I mean by that is one where they didn't have to impact multiple positions. So, you know, if you, <coughs> excuse me, if you move uh, Julian Blackman, okay, just for argument's sake, if you move Julian Blackman to the slot and then you take Kenny Moore and you move him outside, now you have impacted multiple positions. And and there may not be a comfort level uh, from those players at their new positions. It has nothing to do with, with, with Kenny Moore or Julian Blackman being good players. That's not the question. The question is, will they be as effective in a role they're not as familiar with? They don't practice at that position, right? So, so that's a fair question, and I and I understand when when teams factor that in. So, so my interpretation is they looked at it, or what I suspect is that they looked at it and they said, "Look, let's just let's just do it in in, a, in the least disruptive manner, and just you know make that one change and play Tony Brown." Um, the other mitigating circumstance I would mention is that on 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 the touchdown, the long touchdown play, uh, Gus Bradley did confirm this, and I think it was. It started to be clear the more I looked at it. Uh, that was a coverage bust and not necessarily Tony Brown's fault. Now, he took a lot of abuse on, on Sunday, and I'm also not defending him because he, he didn't have a good game. But, but I do think it's, it's important to mention that uh, he was supposed to have safety help, and, and actually um, that, that wasn't there. So that, that wasn't on him. And he looked a little timid initially coming uh, at, right after the snap to the point where I, I wondered if, if something was up there, and it turns out that it was. Is the defense right now the most disappointing part of this team, especially the last three games? Should we be talking about that more maybe than some of the other stuff? Uh, they, they've given up too much yardage. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, I think it's a couple of things. Number one, they've had some, some personnel issues. We just talked about cornerback. We know what's going on there. Uh, Grover Stewart is a big loss. You know, you've seen a couple of runs pop the last couple of weeks where you would not likely be seeing as much of that with uh, Grover Stewart in the lineup. Uh, I think they've got, what, maybe four more games, I think, before his suspension yeah, ends? Yeah, it's four, yeah. They have four more. Yeah, so so that hurts, you know. You're talking about, I mean, I know he's not a guy who's an all-pro level player, but his impact for them 
it's pretty significant whether whether people nationally know that or not. So anyway, that's the so personnel issues have been a little bit of a problem. Uh, I, I think that the pass rush has been a little intermittent, and I, I like I like some of the talent on the edge, like guys like like Quiddy Pay has flashed. Uh, Dio Adengbo has continuously flashed this year. Uh, I think what you don't have is is a real dominant player on the edge, and and that can hurt you. It's tough to overcome that, you know, when a quarterback gets hot. You know, so you had some some instances, for example, on on Sunday where Derek Carr got the right coverage at the right time, and and they didn't get pressure, and so he had a lot of time to make plays in that pocket, and so you know he's going to hurt you. You know, say what you want about Derek Carr. You give him that kind of opportunity, Derek Carr's going to hurt you. And they learned that lesson the hard way. So I don't think there's, like, one thing on defense I can point to. I just think it's a, it's kind of a collection of issues that have kind of come back to bite them. And they, they got to do better. That's the bottom line. I mean, I think right now what, what's happened is there's, there's been too much put on the offense because of maybe some of the shortcomings on defense. I'm not – overlooking the turnovers in recent weeks because that has disadvantaged the defense. Okay, there's no doubt about that. Some short fields, all that. Um, but it, all, it does work hand-in-hand. Hand. They're not playing complementary football, all that. But, but the defense is where a lot of the talent is, frankly, and, and more, there's more depth on defense, I think. So they got to step up. Stephen Holder, again, is with us here from ESPN. Stephen, I guess if you look at it, either this week or next week would be viewed as the technical midway point of the season. I posted something on our website about midseason awards to hand out. Uh, let's start with the good. Your team MVP would be who at this point of the season? Huh. That's tough. You know, maybe maybe this is obvious, but I kind of feel like Zach Moss. Hmm. You know, like that's going to change. I think it's very clear that Jonathan Taylor, at least I think, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor is going to rise to the top there, at least just based on what I see. He looks like their their best offensive player right now. But um but we're talking about up to this point, right? And and if you look at it from that perspective, uh they don't win in Baltimore and they don't win, you know, I think a handful of other games oh, they've only won three. But I mean they're not even competitive to, to some extent if Zach Moss is not just pulling first downs out of his rear end, like out of thin air, you know? And and just kind of willing himself to first downs, c- critical first downs. So uh, he's been a revelation. You know, he's not going to be you know a guy who gets some kind of you know record breaking contract in free agency. Don't get it mistaken. But for what he is, uh, he is much more than we gave him credit for. So I, I would say Zach Moss to this point. Yeah, I went Zaire. Um, I, I I could definitely I you know listen. T- to the Zach Moss debate, I you know I, I don't need to like explain the awards. I thought Michael Pittman Jr. or Zach Moss for Offensive Player of the Year. If you're going to kind of yeah. slot in an award there, I do want to flip over to the other side. And I don't know, maybe you and I disagree on this a little bit, and maybe I'm being a little bit too recency biased with this answer. But I think from an individual disappointment, I also gave out kind of a most disappointment award. I would say the lack of a pass rush from Quiddy Pay, and again, it is yeah. over the last three to four games. He had some moments early on, uh, but I was looking up some numbers, Stephen, on him. I think he's 64th in sacks, like 120-something in quarterback hits. And again, in particular, it's, the, it's this last month where your edge group, you know, two weeks ago, you're facing a rookie right tackle on DeWan Jones, and while Blake Freeland's having some inconsistencies, you couldn't expose, and credit to the Ben Davis kid for stepping up, but you you, right. you, you couldn't expose a, a, a rookie right tackle in that instance. So, you know, it's probably a little bit of, uh, it's a big year for him, that matters a little bit more, but I would yep. say individual disappointment over the last month or so, uh, I, I'm putting Quiddy Pay pretty high on that list. Look, I mean, the expectations are what they are. And, and I don't think it would be fair to pretend like like there shouldn't be expectations for him. I mean, I like Quiddy Pay generally uh, as a player. And I, I think what I said earlier, though, is, is the problem. It's that there are flashes. And it's not a continuous uh, level of production. And, and that's just that's not good enough. I mean... You know, he is a first-round pick, and I think we have to judge him accordingly. And the, the production they're getting from him, look, I get it. Not every first-round edge player is going to be, 
Nick Bosa. I, I understand that, but but you gotta you gotta be a guy who at times is is able to get home and when your team really needs. I, I think it's, here's the problem: is that I, I think that we have kind of miscast, um, not the Colts, but maybe us as as, observ- as observers. We we maybe look at him in the wrong fashion, and what I mean by that is he's not your you know your 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 premier edge rusher he's not i mean they they don't play him in that fashion and so i think there's they actually recognize what he is and so what they do is they they play him as a strong side defensive end yeah he's like a jabal sheer like a good run defender yeah, yeah which is great like that's that's an important role you got to set that edge and and he definitely plays a role in and stopping the run which they have generally been good at you know with some exceptions lately but but i think that so that needs to be clear like you have to see him for what he is but the problem is they need more than that out of him i don't i don't know that he can do that i don't know that he can be more than that because that's what he is so i don't there's a little bit of a disconnect i don't know whose fault it is but but again he is a first round pick so if if you if what you wanted was a an edge setter with that first round pick well then you got that and he's good at that but is that enough i think that's a fair like criticism. Last one, Stephen. Appreciate the time as always. Um, judging Nick Sirianni's post game reaction last year, Eagles <laughs> over Colts. Where do you think Frank Reich is mentally this week? Like, I mean, is he is he burning midnight oil? Is, is this one he circled on the calendar a little bit more? How do you think Frank views Sunday? Uh, I I will say I I really think that Frank is is just hunkered down this week and. You know, I, I've reached out to Frank Reich um, a couple of times in the last uh, month or so, and let me just say this: I have not heard back, and and I don't take that like as an insult. What I what I say, or what I got I crickets that, as well, trying to get him on the show for this week. <laughs> yeah, and what I take from that is that you know he is like all business right now, all business. You know, because this is a guy who is very engaging and always kind of you know, is, is willing to, you know, to take time to catch up. And that has not been the case. And not just this week. I mean, even prior to this week. So I think that Frank Reich, just given the pressure that they've been under, which has been tremendous, I'm sure. And you know about him giving up the play calling duties. Uh, I think that he is just, just dug in and he's all business right now. Um, you know, is it going to mean more? Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it will. Um, Will he admit that? No, but but I, I gotta believe it means a lot to him. So we'll see. We'll, we will see. It'll be very interesting. I think that you know that little um, game within the game between him and uh, Gus Bradley. You know that, that'll be interesting. And so you know I I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Agreed. Uh, Colts a three point favorite heading into Sunday in Charlotte. Stephen, safe travels down there, and uh, thanks for the time as always. All right, you got it, guys. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Hey, fam. I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in Hope today. Appropriate music. Pacers in Boston tonight. Our coverage beginning at 7 o'clock right here on The Fan. We continue to talk about that. We'll get back in to the Colts discussion as we go. Pop quiz coming up in 30 minutes. Busy here in the 9 o'clock hour on the wake-up call. Let's get Alex Golden in here from Setting the Pace. He joins us on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. Alex, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, We're fantastic. Uh, Getting warm, uh, staying warm from a uh, very cold Halloween night. And uh, uh, we'll ask you more about that maybe as we go. But I tell you, Alex, uh, wow, Matherin and Halliburton are going to be very questionable per Rick Carlisle. I guess what's your reaction to that? And uh, game four, those guys missing a game sure doesn't bode well for them tonight in Boston, I would imagine. 
Yeah, I mean, if Halliburton and Matherin are out against this talented Boston team, that's not a great sign. But I, I will say injuries are, are something that happens a lot, especially during the 82-game uh, season. But, you know, game four is a little bit surprising. We'll see how they uh, end up faring and, and if they're able to play in tonight's game. I think they're definitely needed. But we've seen crazier things happen in the NBA when teams are undermanned. It seems like some of those guys that are trying to get an opportunity to prove themselves, they can come in and, maybe take advantage of a team that overlooks a Pacers team that might be down two starters. Brad asks, have we placed the odds on the Bally stream working tonight? Yeah, Brad, I think it's about plus 10,000 on the Bally stream working tonight. Uh, I won't bore you with Bally questions, Alex, unless you want to give your thoughts. Um, Let's go Matherin. Yeah, I think if Halliburton's out, to me it's rather obvious. Nemhard bumps into the starting lineup, McConnell, I I don't know. I guess there's times where Rick actually would put McConnell in the starting lineup just to have Nemhard stay with that second unit. Nonetheless, more Nemhard, more McConnell. No Matherin, I think it's a little bit more of a question. How would you see that playing out? Do you think it'd be Neesmith for his defense in the starting lineup? Would you bump Buddy Heald back into the starting lineup? Because that's you know a little bit more of what he's used to. Uh, and then where would the trickle-down effect? More Ben Shepard, more Jordan Wara. How do you see if it's no Matherin? Yeah, good question. Um, I I think you'd probably put Neesmith in there just because I feel like he's been the most reliable bench player this season so far, and they need him for defensive purposes going up against Tatum and and Brown and then Drew Holiday's in the mix. So I I think that that would make a lot of sense. And then McConnell, to me, I think I would bring him off the bench. I think I would start Nimhard because I think he's a better defender, a little bit more switchable, and and could be kind of interesting to have Brown, Nimhard, and Neesmith out there for defensive purposes. And then um, if you look at the bench, I don't know if I'd go war. I just think that I'd probably give Shepard the nod here just because I want to see what he can do. And I think offensively they could use some of his shooting touch. So uh, young guy, he's a better defender, I think, than Jordan War is at this point, too. So that's the route I would go Yeah, uh, if both of them are out. So, yeah, that's, that's a different one. They might just tighten up the rotation a little bit. I don't know if they'd play eight-man rotation or not, but that, that could be something they do and uh, just try to – give their best efforts in terms of like the players they trust the most, but it could be a great opportunity for Ben Shepard to get out there and showcase what he can do as a rookie. I lied, Alex. Do you have Bally thoughts? <laughs> and I ask it to you. Give a Bally's thought. I ask you to you because I do feel like you deal with a Pacers crowd that's not just here locally. I mean, you, you guys yeah. have obviously a huge following, and so we probably talk to a little bit more of a whatever, a geographically centric audience here. Uh, you know, you guys have Pacers fans all over. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, so it, it's definitely not good. And I will say this: I I have the Bally Sports app. Um, I do also have my parents' TV uh, pr- provider, so I'm able to watch on Direct TV if I need to. And so I was able to pull that up on on Monday night to watch the game through their Direct TV app login. But unfortunately, with Bally, it was not working. And I even saw yesterday. I think the Hornets were playing. Maybe um, I saw a tweet and the Hornets person that was covering the team was like are, are we still down with Bally so I don't I don't know if it was down again last night too but it's not good and I think if you're paying 20 bucks a month which 20 is a, a month that's a lot of money for uh an app that doesn't work very well in a in a company that filed for bankruptcy so you know and, and I want to say this you know you feel bad for guys like you know Chris and Quinn and JJ because sure, they're yeah. Pacers employees they're not they're not Bally employees technically they're Pacers employees I know Chris always emphasizes that to me when we talk to him, he's, you know, they they can't control where they're on at, but they are they are part of that Bally Sports umbrella, and it's unfortunate that their app has crashed so many times, and I don't really know what's going to happen. But every time I was tweeting about anything, it was like, oh, it must be nice to watch. I mean, I don't know how many fans were affected by it, but I would say it, it felt like over fifty percent of the fan base on Twitter that interacts with us was unable to watch the game. Whatever you do, don't tweet at Alex uh, Golden trying to get his parents' login uh, to be able to watch the game tonight. It is funny. So This is Golden123 at Yahoo.com. So, Alex, you'll like, you'll like this. So I, I, had, I had a buddy's sister's ATTU verse login from like six years ago. So when Bally's wasn't going to work and it became evident that it wasn't going to work like the entire game, I went back on our conversation. KB, you love this. I went back in our conversation like five, six years ago to try to find that login and I found it. Okay. I found it because you can go back forever. Okay. That's a miracle. So I went back and I, and I found it, but apparently in the last five years, she had changed her password. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so That's I was funny. shut out the I- other night. Man, that that is really funny. I've had some instances where I've had to actually change my sure. password 
for certain things because ex-girlfriends before I got married would end up, you know, being like, hey, did you change the Netflix password? I'm like, oh yeah, we're not gosh. dating anymore. You're not getting that anymore. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm, you're not mooching up. Alex Gold putting his foot down there. <laughs> Yeah, we ain't playing games. You know, you're in it for everything, and you're not getting enough. Well, you got to watch out on that, too, because it shows, like, your search history. So it's like, uh, your wife would be like, "Why? who was watching Say Yes to the Dress? That's not something that you watch a lot at, you know, 9.15 at night. What the hell? <laughs> no, you're right about that. Alex oh, Golden, uh, setting the pace is the podcast. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, you know, they, they've been pretty healthy through the first three games, Alex. Anything surprise you with lineups or rotations so far of what you've seen here through the first three games, not including, you know, obviously tonight, which will probably have some jumbling? Uh, not entirely. I, I was a little bit surprised against Chicago that T.J. McConnell didn't get a, an opportunity after he played so well against Cleveland. And I felt like the pace of that game really did suit a McConnell someone that could come in there and kind of muck things up a little bit. And I feel like in the half-court offense, that little jumper that he takes about 10 feet away from the basket, which is so money, would have been crucial for that that second unit that really struggled in that game after having a great game against the Cavs. So, yeah, I mean, it was 12 for 46 from three in that game. I mean, when you're shooting 26% from three and over half your field goal attempts are from outside, that's problematic. I mean, this is a team that loves to shoot a lot of threes. So, don't want to dwell too much on the negative. I thought the way that bench came in and played uh, against Cleveland was just incredible, too. So it's it's been kind of uh, an interesting dynamic seeing how these two lineups have uh, meshed well together. And I feel like right now they're still um, – the verdict's still out on that starting five. They just haven't had a lot of chemistry together. So it's um, – it's one of those things where I'm just waiting to see if Obi Toppin, Bruce Brown, Ben Matherin can are, are a good fit with uh, Halliburton and Miles, just seeing how they play. I, I want to give it like a 25-30 game sample before I'm really ready to write it off, but they were a plus in 16 minutes. I think they were like a plus five in 16 minutes against the Bulls, so hopefully that's uh, a step in the right direction for that starting five, because I do think it's talented. I just don't know if it's the right pieces together. Alex Golden with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline on the Fan on a Wednesday. Buddy Heald, sixth in points, seventh in minutes. I guess I find that a little surprising. Do you find that surprising? I mean, his his role is a lot uh, more limited this year, so uh, maybe a little bit. But I, I feel like he's he's important to this team and what they want to do. I think you kind of saw it at the end of that Bulls game. They put him in there to try to find some offense, and that's exactly what he can do is he can be a microwave kind of guy. The the chemistry that he has with Tyrese, I think you're seeing him kind of get subbed in early in the first quarter to to get some minutes with Tyrese. I I, I would try, if I was Rick Carlisle, just to maybe find more minutes for those two together just because of the connection they have and and try to get Buddy going early because once Buddy gets going, you know, it doesn't really matter who's out there with him at that point. I think he's just going to – feel more confident in himself and in that shot. So, yeah, I think that Buddy Hill, like, he's definitely taking a lesser role, and it makes sense because you're trying to get better defensively, and that is probably his worst uh, attribute that he brings to the team. So, unfortunate for him, but defensively, he probably, out of the nine guys that are in that regular rotation, he's probably the worst of the nine. Get Alex Golden setting the pace is the podcast. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Alex, at, at one point... <laughs> Are we chalking up Jairus Walker to a redshirt year, or, or, or at one point, what point in the season do we get to and be like, man, it's a pretty big disappointment that he's not getting any minutes? Because, yeah, I mean, the Pacers aren't in an outright tank rebuild first year of the process, but they also aren't like all chips into the middle of the table. We're exclusively playing guys that have been in the league for X amount of years. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that we're kind of in this situation where the Pacers are trying to win now. And if you watch Jarris in preseason, he had a great first game against Memphis, against Memphis's third string, but Memphis is 0-4 as well right now. So how good is this Memphis team actually? I don't really know, but I do think that Jarris struggled uh, specifically in the preseason. He showed flashes of some really good moments, but then there was other times where he just the game was really fast for him. So I think with Jarris, it's going to come in time. We know Rick Carlisle has a history, I guess you could say, of not playing rookies and not playing young players, but that wasn't the case last year, and I think Pacer fans were a little spoiled with where Ben Matherin and Andrew Nimhard were last year in their rookie years because they were advanced for a lot of rookies. So, Jarris Walker, he's a four. He's a guy that has great upside, but 
it's just going to be, I think, when the opportunity comes, it's going to come when maybe there's an injury and he kind of plays himself into that rotation. Or maybe, like you said tonight, maybe he gets the nod to, to play more four and they bump Aaron up to the three, so maybe he gets in there as that backup power four to get some experience against the Boston team uh, if Matherin's not able to go. So they could do that as well. I just think that Jairus is uh, really young, and I think Carlisle mentioned on your guys' show, like it's going to be a little bit of time before he sees the floor. And I understand that, but I also think at the same time, the best experience is getting out there and playing in games. You, you can really develop and practice, but if you're not getting on-court experience, then it's a little bit different in terms of that game time experience. So I'm hoping that we get to see him, but I understand why they're not, because I do think that with Obi Toppin here playing the power forward spot as a, as a starter and then bringing Neesmith off the bench, uh, kind of playing more before than he was originally, I guess, supposed to be playing at the beginning of the year that is why Jairus has kind of fallen to that third power forward on the depth chart last one for me Alex what do you make of the in-season tournament that uh, gets underway here in a couple days any thoughts and I would imagine we probably all need to explain that to fans who may not be keeping up with it as well yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot to explain, to be honest with you. Like, I've seen Richard Jefferson do a video like four or five times that the NBA put out, and it's still kind of confusing. So, you know, I, it's it's one of those things where it's, it's a trial and error. I, I'm not going to give an opinion on it yet because I haven't seen it. I just hope that the players actually take it seriously and try to make it something worth watching because if not, it, to me, it could just be a big fail. But I don't want to write it off yet. I know there's a lot of people that are against it. And as far as the court goes and the jerseys and stuff like that, I think it's actually pretty cool. I know a lot of Pacer fans were disgusted by the color of the court that the Pacers will have, that, <laughs> uh, that like aqua blue or teal blue, whatever it is, with yellow down the middle. I, I kind of actually liked it, to be honest with you. I was like, okay, this is kind of different. It's uh, giving me some uh, Boise State football field vibes here, but I'm uh, I'm all for it. I think it's I think it's fun to just try to make the in-season games mean something a little bit more than what they normally do. But once again, it's just trial and error, and we'll see how it all plays out. He is Alex Golden. Again, setting the pace, great listen to the Pacers podcast, and he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Alex, great stuff, man. I know you are also doing a little bit of written action as well. Yeah, so I, uh, I have a Substack. I tried doing it last year, but I was just not very consistent with it. But I've decided to be more consistent with it this year. So it's uh, at theblueandgolden.substack.com, and you guys can check that out for free. I don't charge anybody for any of my writing. And most of the time what you're going to find on there is uh, I'm doing a 10 thoughts after every game, so giving 10 things that stood out to me in the game. Sometimes that's hard to do with trying to find 10 things that stood out, but um, I dove into that after the first game and decided to stay with it. So right now we're at 10 thoughts, uh, kind of a post-game recap article to give my thoughts on what I saw from the game. If you ever get stuck, just write down Bally Sports Sucks, and that can be one of your 10 <laughs> Get those page thoughts. views. Yeah, that, that to me could be an 82-nighter for you. Great yeah. stuff, Alex. Thanks, man. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.